you to turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Ruth. You can follow along as I read the first five verses of the book of Ruth. On Mother's Day, we were in the book of Ruth uh, talking about Naomi and Ruth and their relationship between one another. And today I'd like to Rewind back a little bit to the beginning of this chapter. And so I'll read to you from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. It is true, as the Bible says, that a man knows not what a day will bring forth. It also says that a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Now, we don't know from one day to the next what will come to pass. If we're wise, if we're seeking the Lord, we'll make the best decisions that we can. But ultimately, our lives are in the hand of God. We're dependent upon his will and his purposes. And we don't know what the day will bring forth. It also says time and chance happeneth to all. And here we have, as this book begins, it begins by telling us the story of a man. A man named Elimelech. And this was in the time of the judges. Well, in, in the Old Testament, you have a very significant period in the time of Moses and Joshua when God delivered his people out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And another very significant time in the Old Testament is the time of the kings, beginning with King Saul and King David. And David's reign is one of the pinnacle times of the history of the children of Israel. And in the book of Judges, it describes a period of time in which formed the time in between when Israel entered into the promised land and when God began to raise up kings to rule over the people of Israel. The book of Ruth forms a kind of bridge in that time period because it connects the days of Joshua with King David. In particular, it connects the genealogy, the line of Jesus Christ and of King David from Salmon, who was a contemporary of Joshua, one of the uh, mighty men of that age who fought to 
enter into the promised land and overcome the enemies of God and, and all the way down to King David. And there's a bridge formed that comes at the end of this book of Ruth that shows the genealogy which is formed by these things. But in the midst of this, there is this story of a man of Bethlehem, Judah. A man from the very city which would become known as the city of David, the city that David came from. A man of that people, of that tribe of Judah, from which God had promised generations past, back in the book of Genesis, that out of Judah there would come a ruler who would reign over the people. And it was from that land that this man came, and he came during a famine. There's a famine introduced. It says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. This may have been during the time of Gideon, where there was a famine that was introduced because of the enemies of Israel, the Midianites. Famines come in the Bible for various reasons. A famine is something that is out of our control. It's something that in modern terms they might refer to as a natural disaster, an act of nature. But we see in the Bible that famines had great significance and God often had a purpose in bringing a famine. There are several different reasons that famines seem to come. One is God at times sends famines in order to work about his purpose in the world to put people where he wants them to be. God sent a famine upon the land in the days of Joseph. And that resulted in, the, in, in Joseph's family being brought into Egypt. God uh, sometimes gives famines to bring about his purpose to send people where he wants them to go in order to bring about his ultimate purpose. And that certainly could be the case here in what unfolds. God often sent famines upon the land in order to judge his people, in order to chasten them, in order to cause them to repent. If you uh, think about the pattern that you see when you read the book of Judges, you see a pattern of God blessing his people, bringing them into the promised land, blessing them with prosperity and peace, and then ultimately their rebellion against God, turning aside from worshiping and serving the God who had given them everything, who had saved them and brought them into the land. They turn aside, they rebel, and then God brings chastening upon them. God afflicts them in various ways. I believe it's in the Psalms that it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. God sends affliction upon his people not to destroy us, but to chasten us and to bring us back to repentance and restoration with him. So it's ultimately for our good. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If God disciplines us, he deals with us as children. It's because of his love. Because it's better for you that you be walking in obedience and peace and harmony with God than that you be going astray. And so God is going to do what's good for his people because he loves you. And so he chastens his children whom he loves. And so God would bring affliction upon them. Sometimes that was enemies coming and afflicting them, bringing them into captivity. 
Sometimes it was a famine that God would send upon the land, upon the people. But God, in doing these things, would cause his people to come to repentance and then bring about their reconciliation. Good to see you doing well, sister. And sometimes famines came because the enemies of God wished to inflict harm upon them. That's what happened during the time of Gideon with the Midianites. They brought about a a famine because they sought to destroy and to harm and to afflict and to oppress the people of God. Well, this famine, it may have been brought about by all three of those reasons. It may have been some combination of these things that God brought a famine into the land at this time. Uh, We're not told why. And that's important too. There are many things that happen here in the book of Ruth that happen. And we're told that they happened. And to whom they happened. But we're not told why. We don't always know. You know, you you might experience things. You will experience things in your life that you will not know why this happened to you. You will not know the, the reason. And you may never know the reason. Job, who experienced some of the most brutal sufferings that a man can experience in this life, God never told him why. God never explained himself to Job. God doesn't need to explain himself to us. And so, you may never know why. You may never know why. Uh, A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, Moab was often an enemy of the people of Israel. They were always in conflict with Moab over and over and over again. They were in conflict with them. And Moab has a bit of a sordid history in the Bible with the people of Israel. And that's that's important, too, for us to understand. Moab has a sordid history. It goes all the way back to whom the tribe, the people of Moab, was named after. Moab was born to one of Lot's daughters through an act of incest. And that's recorded in the Bible. It's told us to the Bible. The shame of Moab preserved forever. And then when Israel was wandering in the desert and later entering into the promised land, Moab, instead of uh, assisting them based on their history, Moab comes from Lot. Lot was Abraham's uh, nephew. So they were related to the people of God. They were, they were somewhat closely related, but instead of insisting them, instead of uh, being allies with them, they opposed them. They fought against them. Uh, later on, there would be, uh, there would be a conflict and war between them. The, the leaders of Moab would hire a prophet to curse, to curse Israel. And so they were often at war. So these were, Moab was not a place that was uh, looked highly upon by the Israelites. So this must have been quite a desperate situation for Elimelech to need to take his family out of the promised land, to leave his homeland, and to go into this foreign land with the enemies of Israel in order to find food. Elimelech, uh, we're, all, we're not told uh, why uh, or we're not, we're not told uh, any judgment upon what he did, good or bad, just that this is what he did. 
And as far as we can tell, it's understandable. He was in a place, there was a famine, there was no food, so he went to find food to provide for his family. The time of the judges is a time that is described again and again in the book of Judges in this way. It says there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. All kinds of stuff was going on in that time. There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I can tell you, you don't want to live your life just doing what is right in your own eyes. I don't want to live my life doing what is right in my own eyes. I mean, my flesh does. Our, flesh, our, our, our natural desires often do. We want to do what seems good to us, which seems right to us. But what is best for us is what is good in the eyes of the Lord. That we would not seek our own will in this world. That we would say, like in the hymn we sang, Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it be. We say to God, God, even if you bring suffering in my life, even if you bring trouble into my life, even if it never gets better in this life, it is still better to walk in the way of the Lord than to walk our own way. And God doesn't promise us that everything in this life is always going to go well, or even if it goes badly, He doesn't promise that it's always going to get better in this life. There's a greater promise that God has for us than even that. But don't be deceived and think that things are always going to go well. For us in this world, we will experience sorrow, loss, suffering, grief. That's what happened to this family. That's what happened to Elimelech. Elimelech's name in Hebrew is a sentence. It means, my God is king. My God is king. In the midst of a time... When there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes, his name was a testimony of what the true God-loving people of the Lord believed and lived then and at all times. My God is king. That's how I want to live. I want to live with God as my king, that God is the ruler of my life. That he is the Lord of all that I do, all that I think, that I would follow him. Elimelech's name, it meant, the name of the man was Elimelech. It means, my God is king. And he had a wife, Naomi. Her name means pleasant. The name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, the Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab. And they continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Well, this is a story that begins with a tragedy. It begins with a great tragedy. Um, this family is left destitute. Naomi is left destitute. She's left of her husband, not only her husband, though, but her sons. And she's left with these two Moabite daughters-in-law. Uh, one of them turns out to be the most faithful friend that one could imagine. But at this point, it seems like everywhere you look, there's just sorrow and tragedy. But God had a purpose in it. 
Just like the famine, this, the hardship that was brought upon the land worked to bring Elimelech and Naomi into the land of Moab, God had a purpose in it. God had a greater purpose. And even the tragedy and the suffering that they endured, they endured as part of a purpose of God to bring about a greater redemption. This was a means through which God would bring King David into the world. And even greater than that, it was a means through which God would bring his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Because he came through the line of Ruth. This Moabite woman. God brought about his great purpose. In James chapter 4, James writes this. Verse 13, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish, vanish at the way for that ye ought to say if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing. Is evil. Now, as you can tell by this point, this is not a really warm, fuzzy message today. We're dealing with reality as it is, sometimes a harsh reality. I mean, what James is saying, he says, your life is a vapor. This is not a uh, puffed up, happy-go-lucky, positive thinking kind of message that he's writing here. But he's writing reality. He say to to some, he says, you boast, you boast, you you rejoice in your boastings. You say, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this and that. I'm going to get this, this, this is going to work out how I intend and how I purpose. And he says, he says, your life is a vapor. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. And do this or that. Your plans and your intentions are subject to a higher will than your own. And what's more, even your very life, subject to a higher will than your own. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Because your life is in the hands of God. And that is the greatest place for it to be. Not because that means everything will always go nicely or easily for you. And, you're, and, you're, and let me tell you this, your faith, my faith in God, our, our love for God and our dependence upon him. Don't let it be dependent on God giving you what you want and, and making things work out for you. Don't say when things go well. It's God's providence. He's blessing me. And then when things go poorly, you say, well, God allowed bad luck to happen to me. Say like Job, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Even if he allows your very life to be taken... He did for Elimelech. 
You can trust Him still. Because God has a purpose and promises that transcend our earthly prosperity and even our earthly life and mortality. So, say, if the Lord will, we shall live and we shall do this or that. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say don't make plans, don't have intentions, don't have any, any kind of ambition in life or, or, or try to do anything. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't say we want to go to this city. He says, say if the Lord will. Subject and submit all of your plans, will, intention to the will and the purpose of God. There have been things that I've intended in my life or just thought would happen that did not work out the way that I thought. Sometimes we're disappointing, sometimes deeply disappointing. And I know that you all have too, in different ways. But it does not mean that God has forsaken you It does not mean that God doesn't have a purpose in your life. It does not mean that God does not love you and care about you profoundly. Even Elimelech, you know, who who lasts in the book of Ruth, he, he only lasts a few verses. But, you know, I was struck by him. I was struck by him because even though if you think about the book of Ruth and the story, you you probably often forget, at least I do, about him. But the whole book begins saying there was a man. But, you know, even for him, this is amazing to me, even for him, the events that happened to him, including his death, ultimately accomplished his redemption. Because the bringing of the Savior into the world was the most important thing of all. And this is the means by which God brought this to pass. The things that God causes or allows to happen in your life are being worked together for a great purpose. For for the good of His people. For his ultimate glory and for our deliverance and salvation. This is touching upon the concept of providence in the Bible. That God is at work in the events and things of our life. Providence speaks of how God sees beforehand all things. You know, to us, it's, it's unfolding as it happens, and we discover what's going to happen when it happens, and we see it. But God sees it all beforehand. And God is at work in the events of our life to bring about the deliverance of his people and our ultimate good. Not just our earthly good, but our ultimate good. So, we don't know what a day will bring forth. That's okay. Because God knows. Our lives will change. The circumstances of our life will come and go. Our hopes will sometimes be disappointed. Sometimes they'll be exceeded in abundance of blessings that God pours out. But our lives will change. The people we know, the relationships we have, 
will change with time, but God does not change. Even this, this world is described as, as being changed. As a vesture, it says, he shall change them, he shall fold them up. But God does not change, and his years, it says, shall not fail. So what is the constant? God, the Lord, who is our king, is a constant. So may God teach us to number our days. To consider that our time is short, our life is a vapor. It's a very visual image. You can imagine some smoke in the air or, or steam coming up from something that's being cooked and how it, it lingers in the air for just a moment and then you turn your head and it's gone. And in God's eyes, you know, to us, to, to him, our lives, though they be short or long, are to him just, just like the blink of an eye. Moses wrote a, a prayer, a song. It's recorded for us in Psalm 90. That speaks of this, this very thing. Psalm 90, the introduction to it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. That must have been a comforting thought for Elimelech and Naomi. You know, there was no no greater place to be than to be in the promised land that God had given them. God had set this land aside for them, and it was a fruitful land at most times. It blossomed with things to feed them, to sustain their lives. It was a land of promise, a land where they could raise their children and they could, they could enjoy the fruits of their harvest and the, the, the fruits of their labors and the community fellowship with their brothers and sisters and countrymen. It was a place where they could go and they could, they could travel on the, that, that trip to Jerusalem to go to the, the place of worship. It was a place of joy. It was a place of peace. And they had to leave that land of promise. They had to go into a distant land, a foreign land, but they could remember what Moses had written so long ago. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. You know, on one level, it doesn't matter where you are in in this earth. Doesn't matter near or far, distant country, a place where they speak another language. If you abide in the Lord, then you have a dwelling place, a stable and secure dwelling place. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood, they are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up, in the morning it flourisheth, and groweth up in the evening. It is cut down and withereth, for we are consumed by thine anger, 
and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou art set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. No, he, he, he says we live about 70 years, 80, if we're particularly strong and healthy, sometimes longer, but even if we do, there's labor and sorrow, there's troubles that come in those older years. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So, so we're, we're told, we're encouraged, we're exhorted that the short time you have here on this earth below to use it wisely, to apply your heart to wisdom. You know, you could look to the wicked and you could see how some uh, look at our short time here and they say, let us eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And they think that to seize the day means to seek pleasure. Well, we have the opportunity to seek pleasure, but we're told something different, something better. Because we have hope beyond this earthly existence that we look to. And so we can use our days here. You can use every day that you have, every day that God has given you, whether it's one more or thousands more days that you have left in this earth, apply your heart to wisdom. Number your days. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, We're told of the uh, inscrutable working of God. That is that, that God's ways and God's works will always transcend. They will always be beyond our ability to understand, to figure out. His ways are above our ways, it says. His thoughts are high above our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are the ways of God. And, And he's revealed many things to us. But God, his inscrutable, amazing ways are beyond our ways. And yet he's doing something amazing. He's accomplishing an incredible purpose. He says... Verse 10, Ecclesiastes 3. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. 
He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God, the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor it is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. Now just uh, one last thought as we, as we close this up. You know, he says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Well, even way back, these hundreds, thousands even of years ago, recorded for us in the book of Ruth, that time, God was doing something that would be unbreakable and unchangeable. That it could not be added to or taken away from. God was doing a mighty work. Even in the twists and turns of the affairs of men's lives, God was working a mighty work. And just to skip ahead and see, so we can see the end from the beginning, the conclusion of it. At the very end of the book of Ruth in verse 18 of chapter 4, it, it, it gives us a genealogy. And I, I mentioned why this is. This is a connection. This is drawing a bridge between the times of Genesis and the times of Moses and, and Joshua all the way up through the time of King David by giving the genealogy. And that genealogy, it passes through some of the characters in this very story recorded for us in Ruth. Now, these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. Now, Pharez was the son of Judah, of the tribes of Israel. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And that is, of course, something of incredible significance to the people of Israel back in Samuel's time when they were reading this account in the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth was probably recorded or written down um, in the time of Samuel based on the context of it. It refers back to the events as, as being in the past with different customs and times. So it may have been uh, Samuel, the prophet, that wrote those things down, that recorded the events that happened. And this was of great significance to them because they had King David, God's promised, ordained, anointed king that God had raised up over the people to unite the tribes of Israel and to lead them to victory over their enemies, to conquer their enemies and bring about deliverance and salvation to the people and raise up the house of God. So this was of great significance when they read these things. This is, this is why it mattered to them. So how much more for you today? Because you could go, we won't go there today, but you could go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And you could read as this genealogy continues. Continues down from David. All the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ.
And it was through these events that God brought about the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. That he would conquer our enemies. That he would unite the tribes of the people of God and raise up the house of God that we might worship him in spirit and in truth and be delivered from our sins and from our enemies that we might worship him and praise him all the days of our life. And when this life with its twists and turns and sorrows and tears come to an end, we have a greater hope still that we will praise him in all eternity, in all glory, where there will be no more sorrow, nor tears, nor weeping, but all mourning and weeping will be wiped away and will praise God in joy and glory forevermore.